This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive and accepting place now and for future generations. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and this is episode 10 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I sit down with my sister, Mary Leonard, and talk about single parenting after a divorce. In this conversation, we cover a wide range of topics. In the past nine episodes, I've really been talking a lot about attention and time management and that sort of self-regulation. But in this episode, we're going to transition to talking more about emotional regulation, like how to help your kids regulate their emotions and process what they're feeling when you are also trying to do the same on your own. And Mary shares how sometimes at the very beginning, when you're going from having two sets of hands to one set of hands, it's really about just getting through the day. So we cover a number of coping strategies and proactive things that you can do to support your family if you are going through a divorce or if you are a single parent. We also talk about the importance of helping kids understand what they're feeling, especially if you have kids who process their emotions very differently. Mary also shares some positive things that came out of her divorce when it comes to helping her kids be more resilient. And then we wrap it up by talking about what not to say to someone who is going through a divorce. If you know someone who is going through this life transition, this will be extremely helpful to you. And if you are going through this type of transition, it'll also be helpful to give you some specific tips and strategies to help you and your kids thrive. So please enjoy this interview with my sister, Mary Leonard. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family situation? I had, um, I got married when I was about 23, right out of college, and me and him had two kids, and then we got about almost close to 10 years into the marriage, we we divorced and my daughter was five and my son was about to turn three right when we separated. He was probably closer to two and a half. So very young kids and going through a lot of transition and just kind of had to work through that with them at a pretty young age. My daughter remembers a lot. My son doesn't remember very much at all from the years together and the separation specifically. So when you first were doing it on your own, what was one of the biggest challenges for you? I think especially when you have really young kids like that, you know, one of them was still a toddler and there's just a lot of hands-on things that you have to do. 
it can be pretty physically (laughs) exhausting and draining. And I found it was just trying to manage both of them without a second set of hands was just really exhausting. So the days just felt like a lot of work and you know, they test your patience. And a lot of times prior to the divorce, if I was kind of stretched emotionally or mentally with them in a particular rough moment, I could take a time out and, you know, their dad could step in and and try to at least, you know, calm the waters or, or take over for a few minutes while I kind of collected myself and came back over to it. And so I found that was one of the biggest challenges is Like, I didn't have that option anymore. I know early on, I just didn't know how to cope with those types of situations because I didn't have to do that before. So it was just a really big adjustment for me to figure out when I get that stressed, how to decompress my own self so that I could continue to parent without stepping aside for someone else to help me. So how many years has it been since you've been doing it on your own? Oh, gosh, let's see. That was in 2016. So it's been close to, gosh, has it been four? I think it's been close to four at this point. Yeah. So it's been a while now. And so obviously in that time frame, my kids have grown quite a bit. And it's, it's less and less like that. So they're more independent and... They can, although you still, I still have, feel like I do quite a bit for them and they're still fairly dependent in some ways. It's gotten a lot better just as I've become more comfortable on my own and just them getting older and needing less constant attention and care. So, yeah. So this year, so your daughter was in, let's see, she was in third, Mm -hmm. third grade this year and then. He was in first grade? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when was the turning point where you felt like you were starting to get your, like, get a handle on it? Gosh, that's a good question. I don't know. (laughs) Some days I still don't feel like I do. Um, But that first year, my daughter was going into kindergarten. So we divorced right before she started kindergarten. And then she started school that next year. I would say really going into the second year. So that whole first year, you're kind of in like survival mode. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just kind of feel like you have to get through your day. And if you get through your day in one piece and everybody's like asleep and everybody's okay and like everyone's been fed and is clean and what, you know, like you just get through it. And um, that first year was kind of in that in that mode. And then once I kind of got past that, going into that second year, I felt like I was a little bit more settled in and I was trying to not only just get through the day, but thrive in the day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I feel like after that first year, I kind of started to make that transition for myself. Yeah. In the early months when you were going through that and you were used to having a second set of hands, so somebody who could take the load off when you were having a bad day or when you know, when you just needed a break, what did you do in those situations when you just didn't have that option anymore? Well, 
the first few times, I just cried in front of my kids, which I hated that I did. I guess I'm a person when I feel emotions, I express them through crying a lot, whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. So that was something that, especially in an in a high highly stressed moment, that's something that happens to me pretty easily. So that did happen a lot where I would have a moment, I would kind of cry, and then I was able to kind of express the the tension that I needed to, and then I could kind of carry on. But then I realized I needed to find a better way to do that because that mm-hmm. wasn't something I wanted my kids to have to endure all the time because yeah. that's not good for them. So, gosh, <laughs> it's hard to kind of articulate how to, I stopped doing that. I allowed myself to step away, I guess, before I would do things like that. So there's certain things as your kids get older, obviously it's easier because you can leave them alone in a room independently. But, you know, dealing with like a two and a half year old, it was a little harder to do that. I think there's nothing wrong with leaving them in a safe space to Mm -hmm. take a moment to yourself and take deep breaths. I turned to meditation for myself. I was advised to like if you had a certain emotion that was happening in that moment that you didn't know how to cope with to just write it down on a piece of paper really quick. Mm -hmm. So like little things like that to just kind of diffuse yourself so that you can continue getting through the moment without being like highly reactive in front of your kids. Mm -hmm. So I guess breathing was a big thing, but you kind of just have to mentally take a step back and stop uh, in the moment when you get to those points of really high escalation. Yeah. I mean, obviously you don't want to lose your, totally lose it and not be able to regulate yourself. And, but do you think when you think in the grand scheme of things that it really is that bad of a thing that your kids saw you experiencing different emotions? I mean, could there be a silver lining there for them? I guess possibly. I I guess I've always tried to express to them that it's okay to feel emotions and that you shouldn't have to push them down. That was something I was not taught as a kid was I felt like I was more so told or not necessarily outwardly told, but um, there was always like somewhat of a shame in ex- expressing emotions sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we definitely didn't learn it in school. Right. <laughs> they didn't teach that us that in yes. our Catholic school education. <laughs> right. So that's been something that I know has impacted impacted me as a kid. And, uh, and it's obviously kind of transitioned or transformed into my adulthood as well. That I definitely, it's, it's impacted me negatively. So it's something that I want to make sure my kids feel like they can do. And but, you know, there's balances there, right? Because... <laughs> yeah, you can't just lose it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, there's going to be negative outcomes to that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I do think there's probably some good. I don't know that it was. it's necessarily a bad thing that they saw me crying in certain moments where I was feeling really upset or really tense. Mm-hmm. You said that you didn't, you know, in school and the way that just the world was when we were growing up, we didn't talk about 
meditation. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even think I know. Do do I don't even I don't knew what, I that, know was. what that was? Yeah. That was a thing that people uh-huh. talked about, and now it is. So those weren't things that people taught in school or just in general when we were growing up. With that in mind, how does that impact the way that you interact with your kids now and the the way that you handle situations when they get upset? You're going through your day and they're not doing what you want them to be doing or what Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be doing. I mean, how do you keep that in mind when you work through those situations? I know. So I'm going to use my daughter as an example because I've had to work through that quite a bit with her specifically Um, Just because she's a very expressive child, which I think is a really good thing. And she's very verbal about her feelings. She's very open about her feelings. And so um, I think at one point, as a parent to a child like that, especially a really young child before they can really control it, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to manage. And it's really hard on you as a parent because... It's in your face all the time. Yeah. And she probably didn't have words to explain it either when she was younger. Yes. Yes. You know, she, it would come out in ways that were really stressful and really hard to try to manage in the moment. It's trial and error too. So, you know, you try one thing and that doesn't really work and then you try another. But um, after when she would get really worked up, I think your natural tendency is you let those moments get you worked up and you Mm -hmm. feel yourself getting more and more and more tense. That's when you have those unhealthy outbursts. So you scream or you start crying or, you know, any, you just express an emotion and it can be as little as just some tears or as big as like saying words that you maybe don't even necessarily mean. Yeah. Um, and she would get to that point and it would almost trigger me and mm-hmm. push me to, to want to do the same back to her. But as the parent in that situation, um, you like really, really have to step back and use those, um, I guess the same coping skills that I needed in those moments in order to deal with her explosiveness, mm-hmm. I started to try to teach to her in those moments. Yeah. Um, because I think your first reaction is you're trying to correct their behavior. Yeah. And you keep, and when you're both at a really high level of anxiety in those moments, you're both raising your voices. It just turns into like a screaming match that gets you nowhere. Mm-hmm. So if you diffuse yourself, and you can get yourself down, then you can, instead of trying to fight what you're fighting about, you just have to, def- I, I started trying to diffuse her. So let's take a deep breath. Let's do breathing. She has like, um, I started using, um, I don't know the right word for them, but like physical. Like sensory yes. toys, dress ball. Yes. Something that she likes to use to calm herself. Yes. So she needed like some sort of physical mm-hmm. piece. So we, I got, I get her like, yeah, like stress balls, anything that's like squishy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's soothing to her. Yeah. So when she would get in those moments, instead of trying to continue and push the argument, you're gonna get. You're not. I I was like, I found myself. You spin your wheels. Mm-hmm. You don't get anywhere until you can get your kid to get yourself to calm down first. Right. And then get your kid to calm down. And then once you're both at that more calm state, 
then you can have a more rational conversation. Right, yeah. And my daughter is extremely mature for her age emotionally. Even in those moments where she would react, once you got her in a calm state, you could have a really adult conversation with her Mm -hmm. (laughs) about her feelings and why did you do that and why did I make you feel that way and all of those types of things. So, But it was all a matter of you needed to give her the tools that maybe you needed for your own self to get yourself down to that calm state before you even try to continue forward with whatever the argument or issue is that you're dealing with in that moment. Mm -hmm. So it took me a while. And I think that was a probably silver lining or benefit of having to figure things out on my own. Because in the past, my default was to go to their dad and say, I need you to deal with this right now. Yeah. And it didn't necessarily, in, in the moments where then I had to do it on my own, I I had to start teaching myself those skills to handle a situation like that without having a backup. Yeah. And then in turn, I was able to teach that to my daughter to do the same. So mm-hmm. then it, and that didn't happen overnight, right? Like this took a couple of years and, you know, we still have our moments, but right. I can say the transition between like those early stages, like the year or so after the divorce until now, my daughter and my relationship and our ability to talk through her emotions and even my emotions has significantly benefited. Yeah. Just because of like simple things like take some deep breaths and calm yourself down before you start screaming at each other and it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. So. Did you reach out to certain resources? Where did you go to figure all of that stuff out? Right when me and their dad separated, I sought out counseling for both kids. Well, at the time, Graham was only two and a half, or my son was only two and a half. The child counselor I found started working with kids when they were four. So I was able to connect with a child counselor right away. Mm -hmm. I've always felt like professional guidance on your mental health is like critical. It's yeah. like such a good resource. Especially if you wait until before you get into crisis mode, you exactly. know? Like it's just a good thing to do. Yes. And whenever, right. you know, no, all I the agree. time. <laughs> I agree. So I've benefited throughout my younger adult life from um, working with professionals, um, dealing, you know, as I've been trying to deal with some things. And so I wanted to get my kids connected. And it gives you, if you connect with a professional, you know, that's their job to give you resources and mm-hmm. help and because you don't know what you're doing. And there's a lot that's going on, especially when you're going through a divorce. There's just so much going on. It's um, You don't necessarily even know the right places to look. So yeah. I, that was really a, a valuable resource to me to just have that professional um, you know, work with. At the time, it was just my daughter. but And then once my son got to turn four, I was able to get him connected as well. Um, but even the resources that she was able to provide me for my daughter, I was able to kind of leverage um, for yourself. on my own. For, yeah, mm-hmm. for myself and for my son who wasn't able to actually, you know, meet with a professional yet. Um, but I, I, I just, I found that really helpful. She, there was you know, there's workshops 
that they would she'd be able to reference. There's just just um, I remember those self-regulating things I was speaking to. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot about that from from her and some of the resources she had shared. So I think that that's a really big thing that they've kind of communicated to dealing now. And again, I don't know that they necessarily had this when we were kids, but yeah, not as prevalent. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sure that some people were doing them, but right. Wasn't as readily available. Mm -hmm. But those, those um, teaching your kids how to breathe, Mm -hmm. doing breathing exercises with them so that, they learn how to do that when they get really upset or stressed. And mm-hmm. so I, I did, I picked up a lot from some, just some, it was as simple as just like some little articles. She'd be like, Hey, here, read this. Or, you know, just sitting in the waiting room while my daughter was in there talking to her, there was packets and things that they provide you with. So, right. um, so I found that really helpful. And, Again, I was seeking out, you know, my own self-improvement um, items for my own self to help me get... I was so stressed out. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember f- you can feel it in your body, like how how tense and, and stressed you are. So you can apply those same exercises or coping mechanisms to your kids. And so you kind of all do it together. Right. And that was really helpful. It's interesting. I mean, you said, oh, you know, you don't know what you're doing. But I think a lot of people who are who do know what they're doing mm-hmm. in theory or have training still would seek out. Yes. These things. I mean, even the therapists need a therapist, especially if they're going through something. You don't have objectivity. Mm-hmm. You can't see your blind spots if yeah. you're in the middle of it. to take a quick break to share a resource that's going to change the way you interact with your kids each day so you can be there to support them and keep your sanity at the same time. Did you know that attention, emotional regulation, and problem solving are learnable skills that can be strengthened with practice? These skills all fall under the category of what's known as executive functioning. Kids who have strong executive functioning skills tend to easily follow directions without needing nagging, repetition, or bribes, have a good sense of time, and can complete daily routines in a reasonable amount of time, stay adaptable, and problem-solve, and manage their emotions when unexpected things happen, and overall have a healthy self-image. They're also able to do things like get homework turned in on time, keep their work organized, get their chores done, and pay attention to details and put forth a good effort when they're doing tasks that require sustained effort. Now, the first step in helping your kids to develop these executive functioning skills is understanding what they are in the first place, which is why I've created a free parent guide where I outline the eight different executive functions. This guide will be extremely helpful for you if you want to help your kids improve follow-through on homework or chores, if you want to help them manage their emotions, pay attention, and problem-solve during their day-to-day routines, and if you want to have a better understanding of why they avoid or procrastinate when it comes to things that they have to do on a day-to-day basis. All you need to do to grab that guide is visit drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash parent guide. 
When you sign up for the guide, you'll also be added to my mailing list, so you'll be the first to know when podcast episodes air and when doors to my parent training program are open. Just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash parent guide. Now, let's get back to the interview. You had talked about your your daughter and some things that you'd worked through with her. Mm-hmm. What was it like for your son, who has a very different personality? Yeah, he does. Um, and again, it was different, too, because he was so young. I mean, they were both young, but my daughter remembers a lot. And um, I remember the first day after their dad moved out, she came in and was like, where's dad? Like, she's just so... Perceptive. Perceptive of everything. She's very bright. Yes. Um, And my son is too, but he just, he was only two and a half. He was, I was like potty training him. He was still Mm -hmm. like sleeping in a crib. So he doesn't remember a lot um, of that. I don't think he remembers anything different than just being with me in my house and then going to dad's and Mm -hmm. visiting dad at his house. So that made it a little bit different for him. And in some ways, I'm like, well, maybe that's easier. Mm -hmm. But I think as he's getting older, I almost feel like in some ways it might be more challenging for him because he doesn't, he's just now processing things. Right. So in the moment, he was just like, whatever, you know, he was just kind of going with the flow. Um, I think he, he reacts in a more subtle way quieter manner I guess so he kind of slips in under the radar and he's not vocal about his feelings but he'll do things that are kind of out of the ordinary when I think he's expressed feeling stress or tension or uncertainty Mm -hmm. like what so one of the first things I remember he was I had just transitioned him from a crib to a toddler bed like right when his dad moved out and um, he transitioned really well. He's always been a really great sleeper. So it's never been an issue to like keep him in his bed at bedtime. Um, and I would, I transitioned him into a toddler bed and then I would put like a gate on his door so that in the middle of the night, if he were to get up, he wasn't, he wouldn't like go roaming around and fall down the stairs or something. So it would kind of contain him still into his bedroom. Mm-hmm. So he always did fine. And then a couple months down the line, he just, he he would never sleep in his bed. Mm-hmm. He just started getting up, and I would find him in the morning, like, curled up next to the gate in his room. And for the life, I could not get him to, like, stay in his bed. And it's just, like, he would start doing something like that. And then we would kind of, like, work through that. And then I finally, like, after months of him doing this, I could finally get, he would kind of start moving back, and then I could keep him in his bed again. And then... Like, a couple months later, he would start doing it again. So that that was, like, an early on example of something that was, like, very out of the ordinary for him that he kind of started doing. And it's hard because I'm like, maybe that was attributed to the divorce, but I don't know. Because yeah. Did you ever figure me. out – so you never figured out why he no. – what was what specifically it was? Maybe he just worked it out on its own. Maybe I I think and even through the throughout the years it, he doesn't do that anymore. But he would go into a phase where you know once he got old enough I didn't have to have the gate up and I actually didn't want it up so you know he could like go to the bathroom in the middle of the night or something if he needed to. 
But once we got to that phase, when he would get into these little snaps, I would wake up in the morning and he'd be in the bed with me. Like he got, and he would do that for like a couple weeks straight. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get him to sleep in his bed overnight. And then he would kind of transition out of that and he'd be okay for a little bit. And, And then there would be times where he just, it'd be time to go to his dad's and he just, everything's good, no big deal. And then all of a sudden, It'd be time to go, and he'd be hiding. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't find him. <laughs> yeah. He's a really good hider. And so just yeah, he's weird. Sneaky. He's sneaky. <laughs> yeah. very stealth. Yeah. <laughs> and so it would be, you know, but he would never express any concern leading up to that point. But then mm-hmm. he would just go and hide without mm-hmm. saying anything. Yeah. Um, and it's like little things like that. And, and I notice it even recently um, this past year with all the remote learning. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. It's been, um, like, I feel like he, everyone, my kids have done pretty well with it, can, all things considered. Mm-hmm. But he, every there was so many changes going on. Like, we would, we were going to school, and then we weren't going to school, and then we go to school again. And, oh, we have to go back to remote. And then we got to, he had to switch teachers a couple times. So he was going through so much of that. But he never, he always seemed cool about it. But then he would, his dad would come pick him up and he'd start hiding from him. And I'm like, what? You know, and so it was like, but it's like a pattern I started noticing where when there was a lot of fluctuation and change going on, he would do things like that. Yeah. He would be really, really clingy to me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he would just be like emotional. Mm -hmm. But when I would say like, you know, what's what's going on, he couldn't really come up with the words. Like I said, with my daughter, she's it's stressful because she's like right up in your face about it all the time. He's the opposite of that. So then it makes me almost worry more for him because I can't ever tell when he's bothered. Right. And it's not as socially acceptable for boys yeah. to be feeling their feelings uh-huh. outwardly. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that it's like, all these changes and now I have to change houses and mm-hmm. maybe I can control this one thing. So yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I mean, that could be, that could be it. Yeah. That could be it. Yeah. Um, with the remote learning situation, I remember that he was so excited about kindergarten and he loved mm-hmm. it. And then it was like, Oh, we're done. Yeah. I remember that was so sad for him. That was really hard for him. He, um, he was someone too that leading up to kindergarten, I was, I don't know. I I never worry about my daughter because she's just she's like I don't know. She's just jumps right into stuff and she's just like, yeah, I got this. She doesn't want my help. She's like so dead set on being this independent female, which I love about her, by the way. But she just takes things head on and she just deals with it. Mm-hmm. But Graham is like my sensitive boy who likes to be by me all the time. Like he's always been like that as a toddler and um, he's really hesitant to try new things. He gets really anxious about it and then he shies away from things if he's uncomfortable. And so I was really nervous about him going into kindergarten. And then, like you said, he just loved it. Like he just thrived. He would jump up and get excited to go every single morning. So then in March last year when everything shut down, he was – devastated yeah I remember Um, that yeah and it was so weird because I didn't know what was going on I was still like trying to wrap my head around what was happening and right 
I still like thinking back at it now. It's crazy to me that we're still where we are because it was like they were giving us these two week increments for a while. Mm -hmm. And I just kept kind of naively being like, okay, well, he'll go back to school in like two weeks. Yeah. Or like maybe a month. (laughs) Right. And then I'm like, oh my God, like that's so so crazy that it's been a year. (laughs) I know. But yay, they're back to four four days now. My kids are five. Five, yeah. I know the junior high night. Yeah. It's almost like while your daughter's version of self-soothing is the whatever the the sensory strategy and talking about it that his is more just being around somebody who is a safe person for him because mm-hmm. it seems like all of those things involve him wanting to be by you like yeah. wanting to stay at your house wanting to be closer to you when he's sleeping or just wanting to be around you in general yeah I think so. And it's been, we joke about it, but um, I called him, or I still call him my koala because like when <laughs> he was, you know, a baby or even through his toddler years, I, he was, I mean, I had to like learn how to cook with one hand when I'd get home from work mm-hmm. when he was little because being at work all day and him being at daycare. And then by the time I get back home to him, he would, he would not leave my side. So mm-hmm. he's just always been like that. Yeah. So with the the divorce, then he's forced into having to have these separate moments with me and his dad, which in retrospect is probably good right. because he has to learn how to cope in situations where I'm not there. Yeah. And the environment that we were in when he was when we were together and he was always with me. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know where he'd be now if he didn't have to figure out how to separate from me and go to his dad's for a weekend, for Mm -hmm. example. Yeah. Um, So even though it's hard and it's really hard on me to see him get upset in those moments, it's I think long term, it's probably good for him emotionally to be able to find other ways besides that. Right. Yeah. To be a little more versatile with that. Yeah. So... I would say, though, I mean, I'm so he's six. He's going to be seven in a few months now, which is crazy. But he is getting more. And even though he still has such a different personality than my daughter, I'm trying to find ways for him now to cope with things like that outside of his comfort with just having to be next to me all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's hard (laughs) because he doesn't. My first reaction is to do and kind of use some of the same tools um, I used with Charlotte, Mm -hmm. my daughter, and it doesn't work for him. Mm -hmm. So writing was another coping mechanism for Charlotte that works really well to when she gets really angry, just and that again, I shared that before that was a tool that was shared with me to just like write when you're angry and just like write down all the things you're mad about. Mm -hmm. And so she's I give her journals and she does that. Graham has no interest in doing that. (laughs) Yeah. So it's trying to find ways that fit his own needs for those type of coping mechanisms for himself. Mm -hmm. But yes, I think in his like panic, distressed moments, he his go to is I like to think at least that I'm like his safe place. Right. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure you are. I wonder what it would be like if he learned to use more language or words to explain because then I mean even if he doesn't want to go write it down he could at least figure out how to articulate what's going on so that you could 
help him come up with different solutions. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you're feeling this and you're feeling like you want to be by me, but let's think of some other options in addition to, so when you go to your dad's or when you're at school or when you're whatever, just so that he has other options. So he feels like he has more control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. And my kids and both my kids um, have this that we've kind of established, but um, he, I think leverages it a little bit more is, um, and this was another, this was something that kind of, they just both gradually did, but it was something that I remember discussing with, with their counselor. She shared that that was a pretty valid coping mechanism with divorced parents was they both have stuffed animals that they are really attached to. And that's that they always take them to their dads. So they're always at my house and they're always at his house. And so it's one constant thing that they have that's a comfort to them. Right. That they can take with them regardless of which house they're at. I always ask them, what do you want to bring? You know, and I say, you know, your go-to guys and anything else. So they get to kind of control the level and the amount of comfort items that they need to bring. For a while, he also had a blanket that he always wanted to have with him. So he's really sensitive to things like that. I think he's sensitive to like textures of things and smells of things. So he always wanted to bring this pillow pet he has and this blanket from my house. And it went with him back and forth always. And they still do that now. I think that's a really good coping mechanism for them to kind of feel like, you know, when they're curling up at bed, regardless of what bed they're in, they have like that one constant thing with them yeah. all the time. Now that you are a couple years in and you you feel like you've worked through some things, what would you tell somebody who is right at the beginning of the process and where you were four years ago? I would say mostly just be patient with yourself and give yourself some grace. I remember feeling this pressure like I had to fix things right away and getting frustrated with myself that I wasn't there yet. But it's, it's such a process, and you just you really, really just have to take one day at a time because if you think too far ahead, you're going to get really overwhelmed. Communication with your ex-spouse early on is really stressful. I don't think I even had that crazy of a divorce situation or wasn't. No, I mean, was you guys pretty civil. communicate so well yeah. compared to some other situations, yeah. you know? So I had that benefit, but it was still really stressful. And even still now it is at certain times. But even just trying to plan out the next week with that other person can be really overwhelming Mm -hmm. because you have to kind of go back and forth. And depending on the level of just stress that's intention that's between you two in those moments, that can be really hard. Um, And especially thinking about all of the, the, the needs that you would need to accommodate for your kids I remember having to actively kind of shut my brain off a little bit and say, what am I, what do I need to focus on right now? And just really, really focusing on your present moment and taking it one step at a time. And I know that's like a very cliche thing to say, but it's, it's, it's pretty true. Your brain can just go insane if you think too far ahead and think of all of the things that you feel like you have to be doing. Lists are always really helpful. So like kind of consolidating your thoughts um, and putting it down on paper 
I always found really helpful. Like, what are things I want to make sure I'm accomplishing today? Mm -hmm. And then what are things that I can focus on later? Yeah. And that kind of helps you um, kind of in a more tactical way organize your your head so you're not just like swirling all over the place Mm because it's very overwhelming for Mm -hmm. a while i think the the breathing the organization taking it a moment at a time those are things that i would definitely make sure to focus on when you were in the very beginning stages working through this Mm -hmm. what is some of the worst or most annoying advice or things that people would (laughs) say to you (laughs) Oh my gosh, there's a lot. <laughs> um, I I'm, I hope I didn't contribute to that too much. <laughs> no, um, I think I don't, and I don't know if this is where you were going with this, but this is the thing that I think got to me the most, um, and people still do it now. But I've been able to kind of, I don't know, filter it, <laughs> right? I think people's initial reaction when you go through a divorce is to just trash talk your ex. Oh, yeah. yeah. And even though the thing, I mean, it's it's just not helpful mm-hmm. because you just experienced a lot of pain. And whatever the situation is, it doesn't really matter. You're experiencing, you're grieving, you're experiencing loss that's different than a death. And it's still I, traumatic. Right. And while you have some of those negative thoughts in your head about that person, which I think is normal and okay. And you need to, you know, express your own anger and feelings towards towards that person. But it's not always helpful for others yeah. to continue to dwell on it and say, well, all these bad things about them and they're going to be worse off and they're going to, all these bad things are going to happen to them now. And it's like, but that's not really what you want. Right. And it's not good for your kids. No. And it's not good for you either because it's, I felt it made me feel worse Mm -hmm. when people would constantly just go on and on and on about, you know, all the negative things associated with your ex partner, because you really do. It's in everyone's benefit for you to work through what you need to to be able to be good co-parents with that person moving forward. And it kind of, it's like, it's very toxic to your growth as right. an individual. If you have people constantly dwelling on all of these negative things that you just experienced for yourself and you really don't need to relive them again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I'm sure that it's well-meaning. Yes. But not necessarily productive. Yeah. And not focused on you moving forward or focused on parenting the kids. Yes. And if you're parenting together, it's not about what happened between the two of no. you. It's about what's best for the kids. Yes. And a lot of times doing what's best for you is also what's best for the kids. Yes. I mean, yeah, and I think what you said was pretty key is it it doesn't help you move forward. And what you need to do is figure out what you need to do for yourself to effectively move forward in a positive way. And when you're getting that negative feedback every single time you're around other people in your life, that's not necessarily always helpful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think you need to kind of control the level of venting that you need to do and not allow other people to, like, enable it. This is Dr. Karen, and we are going to wrap up this interview here. 
But thank you so much for listening. If you or someone that you love is going through a divorce or is just working through some different transitions as a single parent, then I would love if you would share this episode with them. Also, remember, if you haven't already, if you want to get a set of skills that will be extremely helpful in supporting you as you help your kids be more independent and start building the skills that they need to be successful adults, then you are going to want to check out my parent guide. Again, go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash parent guide. Again, that's drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash parent guide. Stay tuned for episode 11, where I'm going to continue this conversation about single parenting and co-parenting as I sit down with my husband, Joe, and talk about what it was like when we were first dating and he was a single parent and I had to transition in. So obviously we had to talk about a lot of things parenting related, life related, and just how we were going to reorganize our lives as I came into the picture. So stay tuned for that in episode 11. As always, if you've been enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would leave me a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you leave a review, I might even give you a shout out on a later episode. So for now, we will wrap up. I'm your host, Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast. I will see you in episode 11. 